This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. Well, an unexpected midweek off for Manchester City means that we've only got a Manchester Derby defeat to review on this week's Blue Moon podcast. And with more and more developments to the coronavirus story almost by the hour, you can guarantee that everything we say in tonight's show could be dated almost before the recording has finished. So take everything we say with the knowledge that it was recorded on Thursday evening, and we'll do our very best to be as current as we can be. At the time of recording, City are due to play Burnley this weekend, but the match with Real Madrid is off. We'll discuss all of the issues around that and the rest of the season. Also on today's show, we'll speak to football history expert Gary James to find out more about the previous abandoned seasons in case it comes to that, and Howard Hawking is back on the podcast later on too. I'm your host David Mooney, and normally at this point I'd introduce my guests in the studio, but as you might be able to tell, we're not in the studio this week. Just like many of the matches around Europe, we've decided to take the precaution and record behind closed doors as well. So joining me from the comfort of their own homes are two City fans in the shape of Gaz Hi. and Richard Burns. Hello there. Now, Gaz, you're not actually in your home, are you? You've, uh, you've gone on a little drive. <laughs> no, I'm in, I'm in my car, yeah, because I, I felt, well, uh, oh, there's, there's people in my house and... Um, I thought I'd go in the car, but then it felt a bit odd just being sat in the drive. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just, I just, yeah, had a bit of a, yeah, just a bit of a tour. Bit of a jaunt out, yeah. Well, uh, well, normally we'd start by reviewing the last week, but this isn't a normal Blue Moon podcast. Uh, everybody's talking about the COVID-19, the coronavirus, and whether or not the season will carry on, whether it will be behind closed doors, or whether it will be abandoned entirely. Um, Richard, this situation has felt almost inevitable since Wednesday night's postponement, hasn't it? Yeah, um... It's 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 all just deeply unpleasant. Um, the the situation on Wednesday felt like obviously we've already seen stuff going on around Europe with postponements and games behind closed doors, but it the game being postponed on Wednesday um, felt like. And I mean, it's yet to be proven to be the case, but it felt like maybe the floodgates opening on that happening in this country, whereby um, how many games can you realistically play when you know that there's um, a, a highly infectious virus making its way around the country that is, it, you know, it doesn't discriminate. It's not going to avoid football, footballers, football fans football managers, you know, anybody and everybody associated with the game is as at risk as anybody else because it's a virus. And so it, there is an, an inevitability to football games being affected. And, um, yeah, I mean, obviously City are the first to really be hit by that in this country, but there's it is just going to snowball, isn't it? There's going to be, at some point, there's going to be a decision made about how the season progresses and it is not going to be the normal way that a season progresses because it can't be. Yeah, Gaz, we learned earlier on that the Real Madrid game is postponed. Uh, Burnley, as we record right now, goes ahead. That might change by the time people hear this. And um, what do you think of the situation with, with the game this weekend? I mean, so so the Real Madrid game has been postponed not because of there's an, an infection risk among fans. That's been postponed because Real Madrid's own players are is it like self-isolating, aren't they? So, um, so that's that. With regards to the Burnley game on Saturday, I mean, obviously, like, as we're talking, the advice isn't 
the you know pe- the mass gatherings like football matches aren't being prohibited, and you just have to sort of follow, um, you know, government advice on 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 that kind of thing. But it's more that it's more that for me, some people will already be some city fans will already be self isolating people with tickets. Some city fans will have people who are sort of vulnerable who are close to them and will will already have made the decision not to go. That's kind of my point, like regardless of um sort of any other advice. Um and and as a result, I think it's it's kind of unfair to hold it because um you know, we, it needs to be. We need to be inclusive, and there are, like I said, there are there are going to be people who have already made the decision not to go. Um, uh, so it just makes sense to 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 have it when when everybody can when 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 everybody who has already got a ticket can can go. That's just that, that's my view on it. Are you thinking about not going? If I, I'm, you've got a ticket. Are you are you going to go? You're not going to go if it's on. Uh, I haven't decided yet. Um, uh, I do. If it was just me, I probably would still be going because. But and and I sort of need to have. I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? You, you sort of need to start having conversations with your family as well about about these things, and you could just you could just make things easier just by, um, uh, you know, by the by the by by just moving it to a time when 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 people are more. Are more comfortable going. I mean, again, you know, we're we're talking here on Thursday evening. By Friday, we you know we there could be a different, uh, you know, a, a, a different climate again. So I, my, my view could could have could have changed then as well. Um, uh, so yeah, it's less about it's less for me about going because there's a risk to yourself because as you know the the advice at the moment is that that's not particularly significant it's more the fact that some people would already have made the decision not to go and i don't really think it's particularly fair on them for it to to go ahead richard what what about you where, where do you stand on on whether you'd go or not on on saturday i've um i've been struggling with this one a little bit so my thinking pretty much up until today has been that i will still attend um and like like gaz says you can only really um you have to trust sort of expert advice and that at the moment that seems to be that they don't see sporting events as a particularly big risk however um i think we are in a situation that we've never lived through before this is a, this is a unique thing in our lifetimes and it I am leaning towards now thinking that the sensible thing to do is the is to take the more precautionary action because again at the risk of just sort of repeating what Gaz said, um, it's it's not just about me. Obviously, there are family members that I wouldn't want to pass um, this virus on to um, because they, you know, obviously have elderly family members um, who are more at risk of um, of more serious implications if they were to, to, to be infected than I am. Um, and I, I wouldn't want to increase their risk. But then um, 
there's a part of me that also thinks I spend every day as, as part of my job, I speak to a lot of members of the public who, um, you know, for all I know, they might be carrying the infection or they might have family members who are self-isolating or, you know, I, for all I know, I could have been in contact in, in theory with, with somebody who's already got it. Am I more at risk by sitting next to someone at a football stadium than I am in the job that I do? Um I, I don't necessarily know that I am, um, but I am leaning towards the more precautionary measure of just not going. None of us, there's, there's three of us here, and none of us are um, is it epidemiologists. Is that right? Um, uh, so, so you just, you just follow it. So you just sort of take advice, you follow advice, and you sort of trust advice. Um, so, so there's that. But the, but just sort of taking that aside just sort of looking at this like what football is doing there's already a bit of a disruption is already happening um would it just make sense for football just to you know there's all this talk about the calendar as well if 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 everybody sort of took the same time out across europe and then sort of reconvened when it makes when it made sense to that that seems to that seems to make sense to me. We asked fans uh, on Twitter just before we came on air, with, uh, we, it was a very quick flash pulse, there's only uh, 267 votes, uh, but if, we asked if you would, uh, if the game was going on on, uh, on Saturday and fans were able to attend, uh, would you go? And it was, it was a very close split, it was 56% said yes and uh, 44% said no. Well, that just kind of speaks to my point then, doesn't it? In the, um, the, there's people who have already made the decision not to go. Well, as it stands, games are not being called off here, unlike in other countries in Europe. Uh, This is the government's chief scientific advisor, Sir Patrick Vallance, explaining why sports events are going ahead as planned. The sporting events, of course, there is a risk, and and I'll explain this um, as I did last time, that as one individual you have who's infected, you are releasing virus from your body as you cough or sneeze or or put... um, fluids onto, onto surfaces, but on average, one person infects two or three others. You therefore have a very low probability of infecting a large number of people in a stadium, or a rather higher probability of infecting people very close to you. And that means that most of the transmission tends to take place actually with friends and colleagues and things in close environments, not in the big environments. So it is true, of course, that any cancellation of things, you can have some effect. If you can get a displacement activity where you end up with everyone congregating somewhere else, you may actually have perversely an increased risk, particularly in an indoors environment. So it doesn't mean you shouldn't at some point make the decision for the resilience point that's been discussed, But this is not a major way to tackle this epidemic. The major ways to tackle it are to try and reduce and delay the transmission across households and across people who've become infected. And that's why that's the concentration of the first actions. And they're not trivial actions. These are quite difficult things for people to actually comply with and to do. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. So, Richard, listening to that and, uh, and, and hearing what they say about uh, sitting in sporting arenas not being so much of a risk because of it being open air and, and actually it's uh, you're not in close quarters with that many people, how do you feel about 
whether they're taking into account, you know, the, like the concourse, the toilets, the bars, walking to the ground, all the elements that go with it. Yeah, I mean, that's, um, that is the concern. Like when you walk out of, so where, um, where I leave the Etihad, uh, I sit in the third tier in the south stand, and that is pretty cramped. Once before kickoff, um, I mean, I know, I know they are in football concourses anyway, but in that particular area of the ground, I think that stand seats 6,000 people and the only way into it or out of it is through one set of double doors. You pack through that and down the stairs, you pack a lot of people very closely together. Um, and, you know, same for if you need to use the toilet facilities during the game, before the game, half-time, you are coming into close contact with other people in what it has to be said are not the most hygienic places in the world. Um, you know, they're, they're rarely in um, a great condition or a condition that you describe as particularly clean once people have started entering because they're, they're just not the nature of having a lot of people in a, in a small space. Um Again, it is difficult. You don't want to sound like you're sort of disregarding the advice of experts because none of us, uh, none of us outrank the the gentleman that you've just had speaking. Clearly, um, but it is hard to escape the concern that in closer quarters than the the actual bowl of the stadium, um, you've, it feels a little bit more at risk. Gaz, on a, on another point as well, I know you're talking about um, whether it's it's fair for fans to be able to, to go to games if some of them decided to self-isolate. Um, but equally, like look at, at the situation at other clubs. Like Leicester we've got, have got players self-isolating. Arsenal have, uh, have had players in quarantine. Uh, some clubs have had training sessions cancelled because of fears. We've heard like literally just before we came on that Benjamin Mendy might be at risk of of uh, somebody in his family picking up the uh, uh, picking up the virus. How is it fair on these on, on players to make them play at this time as well? Well, it's not fair to ask somebody who's who 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 is self isolating to play. I mean, it's not the best. Um, well, well that, that's absolutely impossible. And again, sort of advice anyway. They 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 wouldn't be able to. If a team has had to sort of self-isolate, like um, I guess like Real Madrid have had to do, Leicester, um, Arsenal, or like significant chunks of that team, then they're not going to have been able to have prepared properly for that match, even if like come match day, you know, in line with advice, they're able to play. So, again, I think in those in in those situations, it's probably not fair to ask ask the team to play if they've not been able to prepare properly for it. I mean, it's just so hard to talk about because these sort of circumstances are so are so exceptional. You, you, it, 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 it's, it's, it's kind of hard to, to, to sort of think these things through. And, like, every club's going to have a slightly different situation, aren't they? Some clubs aren't going to be touched by it in terms of the playing staff. While other clubs are, you know, going to be, you know, you know like, like, like the Arsenal situation where they're all... They're all in self isolation, so it's just, yeah, it's it's just a really, really tricky, <laughs> tricky, unique, exceptional subject to sort of come to, really. Richard, would you be happy with behind closed doors games? No, um, I think that's a um, far, far from ideal resolution because I mean, football really, really is about the supporters isn't it like not none of it really carries any meaning at all um without the fans like it, i know that's a really idealistic thing to say and i know 
we spend most of the season or there'll be a good give it a couple of months and we'll be talking about season ticket prices and talk about how much the fans have forgotten but when it comes to match day the reality is none of it means anything if it's just the 20 if it's just 11 v 11 you need the supporters there to really give it the value because that's where the emotional investment comes from and that is a big big part of the package that we all buy into um and therefore playing games behind closed doors is um it completely completely strips that away and and, and i get it from a planning perspective and wanting to get the season done with maybe minimal disruption i i i get why it's a why it's a consideration but i would also say to that at the risk of making a really basic point and and, and i don't know if it's a good one but there's also a reason that behind closed doors is is often a default punishment for uh, for clubs that break rules like it's not a good thing for the game to to have games played behind closed doors i mean it's not just I mean, the one thing I do have a settled opinion on is is this. It's like, it's not just the fact that fans are adding value. The, the, the fans are the reason why the game's happening. I mean, otherwise otherwise it feels like you're just generating results for results' sake, almost. It's like, you know, it's like the whole sort of tree falling in the forest, you know, with no one there to hear it sort of thing. It, it's like it doesn't... It do, if a game's sort of played and no one's watching it, it might as well just not be happening. And... Uh, uh, you know, I mean, look, I know that there's going to be people watching at home and such, but I think first and foremost, your consideration has to be people who are turning up to watch the game. That's that's the reason, you know, ostensibly why why the game's happening. And if if we're starting to sort of prioritise um, sort of television audiences, or even further than that, just the generation of sort of results above that, then then it's it's completely lost its way. You know, uh, that, that's not to say it hasn't completely lost its way, and that's exactly what we're going to get. Um, but it just, it just, it just feels like absolutely absurd to me that you could, that 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 you 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 just hold games of football in empty stadiums. I mean, the, the only time it ever, I mean, aside from sort of using it as some sort of like sanction or punishment, just just sort of having it as a sort of practical solution, it just feels. It's just, it's just not right. It's just not the reason why the game's happening. It's, it's yeah, it, there's no point in it happening. Well, uh, just before the show recording this evening, I spoke to football history expert Dr Gary James to find out more about uh, times when seasons haven't been completed. I suppose when we think of football um, being postponed or seasons being cancelled, there's about three or four seasons that, that immediately spring to mind for me. There's the 1914-15 season. World War One broke out, um, and the season, the football season, carried on. The argument was that you know football hadn't stopped for the Boer War. Why should it stop for 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 this war? But and and the war was going to be over by Christmas. So the idea, you know, that was the perception. So the idea was football would carry on. But as the season progressed, so much abuse was coming towards the football authorities that I think they regretted the decision. And at the end of the 1914-15 season, then it was decided football would stop. Regional football was allowed, um, but the national competitions ended. Um, football was then resumed after the war, obviously. The next time, really, that, that was a, a question mark over the season was 1939-40. Again, this time the Second World War broke out, but the, the season started and after about three games, the decision was, was called to, to sort of halt the season. 
wasn't abandoned at first. It wasn't put. It was just postponed. But then, as as it became obvious that the war was going to continue, that there was no um, way the national football league could could continue, they decided to to call a halt and and create regional leagues for the rest of the season. The government had put restrictions on the size of crowds, so you weren't allowed to have you know more than about. I think it was about ten thousand initially. Well, I think it was about five thousand initially, and then it went to ten thousand. But but basically, the idea was that football would would stop on a national basis. And those three games from that 1939-40 season were completely wiped from the records. And then when football resumed after war, they, that season, those fixtures became the 1946-47 season. So that, that was um, basically replayed. Yeah. Now, Gary, they were obviously the, the war years. Um, so I, I'm wondering if there was anything similar to this. I mean, this is, this is unprecedented with, with uh, a pandemic like this. Um, but has there been any other sort of um, reasons why football league seasons have been abandoned? The 1946-47 season had its own problems and they were weather related. Basically, there's so many postponements that the season had to continue somehow. Um, it ended up being delayed. The last fixture, I think City played something like the 14th of June uh, against Newport County. I think that was the last game. But, you know, basically it kept being delayed week after week after week until eventually, you know, it it was finished. And at the time, it wasn't too much of an issue. Um, there were some odd, odd situations, you know, so Roy Clark made his debut for City in June. Um, but it was one of those things that it, it, because of television, I suppose, not being an issue, it, it was relatively easy to do. There's talk that this season could be just simply delayed. Um, has that has anything like that ever happened before? Is there is there any precedent of, of of matches being delayed until you know a team can fit them in? There was also 1966-67 where there was a, a bit of a fixture backlog for Leeds, um, and so Leeds ended up in in one of those situations where they really. They really struggled to to complete, you know, compete in so many competitions. They really struggled to to put other fixtures in. So the Fairs Cup, which was the well, it ultimately became the UEFA Cup. The Fairs Cup was actually well delayed until the following season. Um, so they they played up to the semi final in May, uh, and then the final itself was delayed to August. It was two legged final, August and, and September. Uh, so Leeds United won the 1966-67 Fairs Cup in 1967-68 season. Is any of that realistic for this current situation? I mean, we're quite deep into the season, but is there? I mean, is there a chance that this season could be abandoned? Is there a chance that it could just be delayed? What well, uh, What do you reckon? I suppose nowadays, you know, people would question whether that's, that's possible. But you know, the precedents are there. The precedents are there to to to, to do anything really in football you know you could have a, a, a abandon the season uh, and replay it next year or whenever it's safe you could delay the season so that it actually finished in june or restarted perhaps in in july maybe um or you could play european finals next season it's, it's not really an issue in terms of precedence it's been done it's been done before so why not <laughs> support the show by becoming a backer patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast that was gary james talking to me there um it's it is entirely possible gas that this season is suspended or abandoned entirely um what what do you think the outcomes should be if uh, if those are the case would you would you like to see uh a playoff maybe for for the title (laughs) um this is going to sound really pious but like we we've not (laughs) there's only the, the the 
we've all, you know, as as painful as it might be, we already know who's won the league this year. So, um, you know, for all the banter that could come from that, you know, it just it wouldn't really uh, serve any further purpose, really. I suppose. I just think if if football cannot be if this season cannot be completed, we can't say for sure who would have finished top this season. That's all. That's that's where I'm at with it. <laughs> this is what I always say to people about saying how we've only ever won things because we've had a billion pound pumped in the squad. There's no counterfactual. You'll never prove. That City would, <laughs> wouldn't have won all those trophies anyway. But surely part of the issue with this, and obviously it's right, like the only the only fair thing to do for Liverpool is acknowledge that they would have won the league. And so, of course, if the season were to finish, of course the sensible option would seem to be give them the title that they have earned. However... Is there not? Does that not potentially create a bit of a minefield for how you then lock other teams into position? So do you just cancel relegation? Because is it fair to say that teams were battling it? Because surely. Yeah, you're right. the The purpose of the the season isn't just to find out who's won. The the you know the the, the league table. It sort of does other things as well. Yeah, and then there's, there's, there's prize money associated to each position. So do you say, well, we've crowned Liverpool champions so they get the prize money, which means that every other club has to get... You know, I mean, what what currently separates sort of 17th to about 8th? It's not many points. There could be potentially a good bit of a good bit of money in where those teams finish. So how do you allocate the prize money? Or do you not give Liverpool their due prize money? I mean, it, it's all hypothetical at the moment, but I don't think... It's as simple as we know Liverpool will win the league, so we give them the trophy. That's clearly the fair thing, but that has a huge impact on how you then divvy up the rest of the league and everything associated with it. Yeah, I think if it was up to me, so so right. So if you are going to end the season here and now, then that's the the fairest way, and it's not fair because everyone's not played everybody and such. Would be just to take the snapshot of the league table now. That's the fairest way of doing it although it's massively imperfect for the reasons which you've just set out. But if it was up to me, I'd just sort of pu- I'd just push back on this idea that about how important the football calendar is and just sort of recognise, you know, th- th- we've not finished this competition yet. Let's take the time we need to finish this competition. Let that all settle down. If that, if that means not starting the Euros and postponing it, you know, fine because that's not going to get disrupted because it's already start it's not even started yet then look at what time you've got left if that then eats into next season then stop and then look at what you've got to play with next year and then then be creative whether that meant you know i don't know like splitting the league up into two having um uh you know i don't know not playing home and away only playing sort of one fixture i don't know but just get just take the time you need to finish this off first because um the the you you're sort of putting i don't know it it just sort of like why are we prioritizing competitions that haven't even started yet for things which you could make preparations for at the expense of one which is currently in progress it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me well it it, it does make sense to me the reason why there's any the 
that you, that you do this is because there's all the sort of pressure in terms of the sort of broadcasting arrangements and money which people sort of want to make out of it. But if it was up to me, I'd just take the time you need to finish the season and see what what you then then next year see what time you you end up with and then then just do something creative. Well, if it was up to me, I'd just uh, I'd cancel it right now and just say we can't we can't say who's won it. That's uh, it's a, it's a sad statement first, but it's, you know it's uh, it's one of those things. Couldn't say for sure, could we? <laughs> Right, well, regular subscribers might have seen that we ran a special episode of the podcast on Wednesday. That was after the news broke of the Arsenal postponements. One of the main reasons for that is that the interview we had prepared for this week's show on coronavirus and football was likely to be out of date, even though it was only recorded on Tuesday. Since then, COVID-19 has officially been declared a pandemic by the World Health Organization. On Tuesday, I spoke to Dr. Pravin Gorajala to discuss the current COVID-19 situation in the UK. The main symptoms of COVID-19 tend to be respiratory symptoms so we're looking at mainly kind of cough and some people getting shortness of breath but also with some viral symptoms as in temperature on and off and some people are getting um other kind of things like gastric symptoms like loose stools and that kind of thing but it's mainly respiratory virally kind of you know things you associate with a bad cold or something. essentially it, it is a flu illness it's just a different form of the flu um except in this particular case there's no vaccine for it it does seem to be i mean the board in terms of the general population, if you're healthy and you look after yourself and you hand washing and sanitizing and doing all the right things, you're probably going to be all right. You're probably going to be feeling a bit rough for a few days and then you're going to recover. Um, it, it does, the people who would, I mean, the, the deaths that you've been hearing about, I think we're up to six now. They, they're, from what I hear, they're vulnerable people who I mean, have had comorbidities and then they've got other kind of health conditions. Um, so they're the ones who are at risk, really. Um, but for the gen, vast, gen, mass, vast majority of people, they probably going to just feel a bit ill for a few days so it is it is essentially a bit like the flu or a bad you know severe cold in terms of um kind of how it's it's kind of gripped the nation at the minute and it's hmm. it's the one thing that everybody's talking about what can we do to, to to make sure that that we're not encouraging the spread of it well at the moment because it's a, a new strain coronavirus has been around for a decade but this is a new strain of it so we, there's no vaccine so there's no treatment for it so all we can do is keep ourselves safe. And that and the thing that people are mentioning all the time is hand washing. That's the key thing, really, um, because uh, we're assuming it's spread by droplets. So as in people coughing, um, uh, touching things, um, that, that kind of thing. So basically hand washing whenever you, you think you're going to be in contact with anything in a, in a kind of public space. So I think the, the general advice is to wash it for about 20 seconds and then you should be generally all right. Um, I mean, hand washing has always been quite important, but it's more more definitely more important now especially with this this new strain of virus we've seen obviously uh italy is as effectively quarantined itself as a country you know football mm. matches in uh various other european countries are being played behind closed doors uh the italian Serie A has, has been suspended uh yeah do, do you think these sorts of measures should be coming in in in, in england certainly they need to start thinking about it especially if the numbers um escalate as they are i mean if looking at the advice from today um from public health england i mean they're pretty much saying that it's unlikely any sporting events are going to be cancelled or behind closed doors in the imminent future and hopefully not at all um but obviously when you've got that thousands of people in one one area there is obviously higher risk of of transmission you know particularly you know when we're going back to hygiene in the like, for example, the toilets and at half time, you know, you know, from going from to the Etihad every week, like they're not, they're not the most hygienic place at the best of time. So that so I think at the moment, probably not, but it's it's a day by day situation. So it's certainly possible it's going to happen. 
Now, there'll be a lot of people listening to this who, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I've been one of those people as well who, who listens to the news and sees what's going on mm. and actually thinks this, this could get quite serious. Um, mm. how, how scared should I be? At this stage, probably not. I mean, uh, I mean, obviously, as a working GP, you know, I mean, you get a lot of patients, obviously. There's kind of a little bit of concern. I don't think my experience is people aren't getting too panicky about it. I think most people are being sensible and realise, you know, it's just a form of the flu. And you know, the vast majority of people are going to be OK. I think what's probably scaring people is obviously the media reporting, obviously, the, the rising numbers, but probably not reporting the, the amount of people who are recovering and are well with it. Um, and obviously, you get the breaking news alert every time someone dies from it, which obviously kind of alarms people. But my feeling is generally not to be too panicky, not to be too worried. You know, if you've got any concern, phone 111. That's the advice that we've been giving out. Um, I know one one are struggling at the moment in terms of the amount of calls. So a lot, a lot of calls are coming to us. And if there's any doubt, you need to, need to self-isolate for 14 days. That's the advice we'd give. But generally, don't panic. Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. The full interview is available in the special episode of the podcast released on Wednesday. You can find out more by going back on your podcast's feed or by uh, taking a look at the episodes on the homepage of bluemoonpodcast.com. City themselves say that they're expecting games to go ahead as planned. The Premier League have said that this weekend's games will go ahead as planned as well uh, and that more hand sanitizers will be around the Etihad Stadium. Health advice is to wash your hands more often than normal and for at least 20 seconds making sure to wash all parts including the wrists thoroughly. Uh, now, uh, we've done a bit of a topsy-turvy show this week because of uh, of that news. Uh, so I'm now going to go back and have a look at, at the game against United, uh, which I'm I'm very sorry for uh, actually springing on you two at this stage. Um, Richard, let's let's start with uh, with the way City played because they were quite toothless at Old Trafford. Yeah, they were. Um, I think there were there were chances, and they weren't exactly um, a sort of avalanche of them but there were chances in the game I think the one that really springs to mind was one that was put across the box that Sterling didn't manage to get a touch on you look at stuff like that and think that's a big chance in a in a tight game that could have swung it um, I think it probably look at the difference that the substitutions made and how much how much better City were once Mares and Jesus were on the pitch and um I mean, again, this might be oversimplifying things because obviously a game has momentum and, and, and things change, but it's hard not to look at the difference the substitutes made and think that should have been the starting lineup. Would have been a lot better and had a greater foothold in the game and, and, and maybe been more balanced had we started the game the way that we finished. Um, United, I think it's fair to say, uh, under Solskjaer, bizarrely, seem to have a good handle on on nullifying City. Um, The obvious exception is the first leg of the League Cup semi-final at Old Trafford, Um, and in particular the first half when City should have been 6 or 7 nil up by half-time. But generally, across the season, um, in in three other derbies now, we've seen that they know how to nullify us, Um, and we blow chance after chance against them when we do get it. so I don't know. I mean, I think I think team selection and the fact that Solskjaer has worked out a way to get the best out of his team against City um, make for a, a very frustrating City experience in the derby at the moment. Gaz, I was going to ask about this because um, United are clearly not a good team at the moment. Solskjaer is, is, I mean, not a great manager, but yet he's, he's won three derbies. Yeah, 
Um, I mean, you can, like, one of them is, like, you know, it was the second leg of a League Cup tie, which was, um, you know, already you know, sort of well within our favour. So I, I guess you can kind of explain that one away a little bit because that was a bit of a non-event. Um, the other ones, the, 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 the derby this week on Sunday um, was a bit more annoying, though, as well than the others because I kind of felt as if the other games where they've, they've, they've won against us were a sort of function of yeah them sitting back and taking and and you know breaking well and sort of taking their chances um but and us not being at our best but if you would have to sort of play those games with those formations you know 10 times we would have won seven or eight of them the the game at weekend just gone I mean, there was it sort of struck me when a sort of graphic came on screen to say that they'd had about twice as many chances as us. So that was different this time. They'd actually, you know, the game plan had the game plan had actually worked in terms of sort of turning the turning the um, you know the actual match in their favour as opposed to sort of making the most out of what they had. If you know what I mean, um, and that that was worrying um, uh, and 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 you know sort of particularly annoying as well to have. You know, whatever the whatever the sort of proportion of the possession was, it was up towards eighty percent, wasn't it? Um, and not um, uh, and and like like Richard said, toothless. I think that's 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 the word to describe it, really. I mean, there is one thing though, Gaz. I mean, it it, it was a defeat down to two individual errors in in Edison. Yeah, I mean, well, the one error really. Let's face it. I mean, the second one um, was I can kind of forgive him for the second one because. He, you, you've got, you know, I think they'd, they'd, we'd already played like another two minutes on top of the time which had been added on because, you know, they had to play down in in stoppage time. And he was well aware of that. And I don't even think he, he even knew if he had time to play the ball out. So he was rushing. And then, you know, what happened, happened. Um, I mean, it's annoying. It gave them a big moment, but you can kind of explain that. Um, because that the second the second mistake only happens because because of the you know the the circumstances of the game, the first one was bad. He, he, you know the, should be keeping those out. Um, uh, yeah, and t- to be honest, it's it's happened too many times this year where we've 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 dropped points because because of the goalkeeper. I think um, you know he, he's been fantastic for us, but you know it's, it's, it's remiss not to point that out. All that said, Richard, um, it wasn't a free kick. City should be able to defend it, but it still wasn't a free kick. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's frustrating because, I mean, it, it, it so clearly wasn't and obviously it's um, it's cost us, but it, it happens. Obviously, there's um, conversations to be had there about in a world of VAR, where we can split hairs on offside decisions, but there's been a costly decision on a free kick that has um, that resulted in a goal. Should VAR be intervening with that? I mean, I, I don't particularly want to instigate too much of a VAR conversation because it's it's a, <laughs> it never leads to any um any real conclusion anyway, does it? But um, yeah, it's it wasn't clearly not a free kick, was it? It was probably not a free kick. But I don't think you can be sort of overturning those. I think there's a there's a conversation to be had. 
And and it's and it's thirty yards from goal as well, isn't it? You should just be. Yeah, that was what I was going to lead to before I accidentally led myself down um, the VAR path that I genuinely had no intention of starting when I started my sentence. Um, yeah, these really the responsibility is is on City to defend that because it's not like they didn't have time to reset themselves or anything like that. It was um, it was a relatively clever free kick in it was a good ball into the box in maybe not the way that you'd have expected it to be taken. Um, But it's not just suddenly sprung on them. They had plenty of time to watch it and, um, and react and they just didn't. And then obviously, um, even if your defense fails, as has already been, um, been said, it's a shot that you expect the goalkeeper to save. So there's a good, um, there's a good couple of flashpoints in that that come after the free kick. Um, you know, it, things happen. Sometimes you score from from corners that you shouldn't get. We benefited from that at Wembley, didn't we? So um, it's, they had a good penalty shout as well, didn't they? Let's face it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, more than a good shout, wasn't it? It should have been. It should have been a penalty. Well, let's look at, uh, at the culprit for uh, for that penalty incident in Nicholas Otamendi. Uh, Gals, I, I spotted you tweeted during the game that I think it was Fernandinho had made more mistakes. And then uh, about 10 minutes later, you, got, you you tweeted again just to say that Otamendi had, had, had surpassed him at, at some point there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, he was just, you know, um, he, he, he was bad. Um, it, it It's like, you know, the kind of bad performance which, you, you know, you come to sort of expect um, from him. In the way you'd expect from him, you know, uh getting square, you know, getting sucked in, diving in. But, you know, I think the 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 only the only member of the sort of back five that 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 didn't have a bad game was Cancelo. They were they were absolutely all at it. Like I said, Fernandinho was was at it. Zinchenko was absolutely appalling. Um and, and like yeah we've we've talked about the goalkeeper as well before. It was, you know, <laughs> Yeah, Otamendi was bad, but he wasn't he wasn't on his own in that. Where's he at at the moment, Richard? Do you think is he always seems to be the whipping boy? Is that fair? <laughs> uh, yes, um, I think all of the criticism that he gets for his performances, uh, it's very rarely unjust, is it? I, I don't think um, I'm ever on or listen to a Blue Moon podcast where his performance gets critiqued, and I find myself thinking mm, that's unfair. He actually had a good game. Do you know, he's just, he's not a high quality defender, is he? He's a defender who, um, I, I can't say I saw much of him in La Liga, but uh, I think he was the La Liga defender of the year when City signed him. So obviously there's some kind of talent there. And he was brilliant in our Centurion season. And that's, like, he really, really was very, very good that year. Um but the the decline and drop off since then, or, or you know, decline or reversion to type, whatever you you view it as, um, he's just his all his faults are so obvious and so easy for anybody to see. Like, I'm not saying that I. So no, no, that's fine. I was just gonna say I I wouldn't particularly back myself against him because of how bad I am. But if I was to be running at Otamendi, I know what move I'd be making. <laughs> I'd be waiting until I was on top of him and then just shifting it round him because he's going to dive in. All you have to do is time the moment that you move it round him and it's it's painfully obvious to read. So, you know, top-level footballers are fast lads like Daniel James. It's a field day for him against him unless he's having 
one of his rarer good days. You said for all his faults, it's one fault, isn't it? But it completely, it completely dominates his game, and and it is like you say, it's just him diving in trying to win the ball when he when when he doesn't need to, and like. I mean, to, to be fair, if you, if you want to be entirely fair, like sometimes defenders have to, you know, weigh up the odds and make the make the decision to, to to go and do that. But it's not a coincidence that you know you you notice him doing it at the wrong time far more often than any other defender. Um, so it's a de- so it's a definite de- deficiency in his game. Um, uh, and yeah, he he just. It's it's just cost us far far too many times. There's a sort of litany of games where you can sort of reel off as to when he's when he's sort of done that. I, I was only to say as, as much as I agree that it's it's one real flaw. I would say that it speaks to other issues around reading of the game and just general defensive intelligence. That's like it's it's one obvious flaw that manifests itself in that autumn-ending move that we um, that we know, but I think it does speak to a more overarching problem or, um, you know, a, a number of issues that maybe lead him into making those decisions. Yeah, and it, and it, kind, of, it kind of implies that he doesn't back himself to hold a player up because he doesn't... And, and and that's the worry, isn't it? You know, you're doing that because you can't do what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, we, we, you know, and, and the conclusion of that is that he's just he's just not good enough. I mean, in, in terms of VAR as well, Richard, you touched on it. I don't want to go too deeply into it, but uh, I just want to touch on the on, on the Aguero goal because um, he looked onside to me. Yeah, I, I mean, I think um, to me on that one, I sort of to a point trust the system. Like he, he did look onside to naked eye and then I think there was a line that after a good while of reviewing it, there was a line that showed that his shoulder was in front of the last man and so I sort of trust that that was the case. I think it's ludicrous that that is an offside decision but in fairness um, I would say that is consistent with decisions that have been made across the board this season so uh, whilst it's ludicrous I wouldn't say that we've been done out of something there because that has just been the law as it's been applied um, in the season to date and I'm sort of I'm sort of okay with it because that's the case but in any in any sensible world there's no advantage gained by Aguero we know what the offside law is there for it's there to stop the attacking player gaining that kind of advantage he didn't gain one but um, the offside law is so far removed from its original intent now that it's it's almost worthless. <laughs> it's almost worthless thinking what its intent was. Uh, before we move on, we should touch on the uh, the Burnley game this weekend because it, it is, as it stands, going ahead. Um, that might have changed by the time you listen to this, so that it could make this bit of the show redundant. Who knows? Um, but uh, but Gaz, how how does City bounce back against Burnley after after this game? Because it, it feels like this Burnley game is. Even if it if it goes ahead, it feels like it, it it's it's not a proper match. Does that make sense? Yeah, there's nothing really to play. There's, there's there's very little to play for except for keeping the momentum up for the cup games. Really, in terms of you know the, the final league standings, we're we're just going to finish second, and that's that. Um, but but I think it's important. But I do think it is important, like to to sort of keep that momentum. I mean, I was sort of. Thinking around the European Cup now, I mean, with Liverpool out, who who are the favourites? 
and and you'd you'd put us up there with with Bayern and PSG, wouldn't you? And the reason why you'd put them up with Bayern and PSG is because they're they're sort of hitting momentum at the right time. I'd say we're probably a better side than those two, but the the very fact is that they're playing well sort of alludes to the fact that you know that they they're taking you know that they've got a chance because they're bringing all the momentum into the, into the competition and if we don't do that then we're going to we're just going to get caught cold i guess it's important in that regard as well and you know notwithstanding the conversation before about people not turning up you know people are turning not to watch a football match so you might as well try and win it you know <laughs> some people are happy richard we know there's no real madrid tie um does that change maybe guardiola's thinking for de bruyne laporte maybe even sane yeah well yes i would say so because there's no reason not to play his best players other than um you know, other than maybe wanting to give more game time again to Foden, although because obviously now he is a legitimate first team member, but do you want to keep De Bruyne out for your top class players? You you want to keep them ticking over, don't you? And the amount of games that you're playing is suddenly minimised. I suppose it sort of forces the issue that you don't want to give them too much of a rest you want to you want them on the pitch you want to keep them um keep their eye in you know and all the rest of it so yes i would say i i do expect to see uh de bruyne and laporte um sane is a, a completely different issue i feel a little bit um a little bit out of the loop on this whole sane stuff because i'd just been working on the assumption that he just still wasn't fit and then there seems to have been some quotes from this week that suggest Actually, he is um, he is ready to go, but he's been kept out of the team. I'm not sure if that's something that's been taken out of context or um, or if I've sort of misread it or not. But um, I, yeah, I'll be honest. It, I feel a bit out of the loop on what's going on with Sane. He played for the reserves, didn't he? Last couple of weeks ago, was it last week? Did he play the full game? Yes, he did actually, didn't he? He did play. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's one that I think um, we'll keep an eye on if if nothing else. Um, I, I guess just with with the COVID nineteen stuff, with the coronavirus stuff, does it feel like uh, in terms of the of the fact that the league season might not even be finished, that the coming games are, are a bit like they've got like a sword of Damocles hanging over them? It, it's so hard, isn't it? I mean, there's the, the sort of like picture changes from uh, um, you know quite quickly in terms of. You, you know what if you feel it I don't think that the season is going to if it became apparent that the season is going to get cut, cut short and end and and, and that then yeah you, you it would it would seem a bit futile but I, I, I don't think that that's going to happen just yet I think the indications are that they're just going to try and try and finish it one way or another um and I get I don't know I guess guess once a game started and you're there and you're invested in it then you you, you know you're just there for the result I mean I suppose at the end of the day, we've been going to games since since what probably the start of December, knowing that that you know we're not competing for the league and just sort of you know you just invest in the in the in the in the, in the time which you're there really. Um, so I don't think that they're they're sort of futile. But then again, you know it's all you know 
you you just have to sort of see how you feel when you're there. That's a bit of a bit of a rubbish answer, but it's, it, you're in such exceptional circumstances. It's hard to sort of say how things will be because things have never particularly been like this before. Right. Well, no winners for the Manchester derby, and with the game against Arsenal postponed, that took a chance of us winning another charity bet. We're raising money for the Christie by predicting City scores. Uh, William Hill is giving each of us a ten pound correct score single. Uh, so again, assuming the game goes ahead with uh, with Burnley, what are you having, Gaz? 3-0 City, yeah. 3-0 uh, City is 11-2 to two and £55 pounds if you're right. Richard, what are you having? Uh, I am going for 4-0 to City. Uh, that's 8-1 to one and £80. Pounds. And I've gone for a 2-1 City win, which is 9-1 uh, and £90 pounds if I'm right. You've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. Please gamble responsibly. And for more on responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. <laughs> Now it's time to catch up with Howard Hawking. Uh, he's having a massive moment of self-sabotage. Have a listen. This is not going to be a popular piece. In fact, by the end of it, I may have trashed a reputation I may have, if there is one. That of the podcast, and will perhaps be forced to self-quarantine for the rest of my waiting days. Because, and I'm just going to come out and say it, I may just be about to develop a modicum of sympathy for some Liverpool fans. Now, if there's anyone left listening at this point, do hear me out. I did say modicum, which I think means a bit. And the reason I may have this sympathy is, of course, because of the developing coronavirus crisis stroke pandemic. So why the sympathy? Because as true football fans, how can you not feel something if a fan base preparing to celebrate its first title in over a generation with a runaway lead has its moment taken away or at least tarnished by the most unforeseeable of circumstances? Now if we were to assume that the entire fan base are the sort that us Twitter followers occasionally lock horns with, then that sympathy I mentioned before would be non-existent. Not only would it be non-existent, I would probably be laughing so hard for so long I'd require surgery afterwards for damaged vocal cords. The meltdown would be exquisite, and there could be no more deserving recipients than the online cult. But there's two things to mention here. Firstly, this is not a joking matter. Of course we can joke about dark matters, it's essential we do so. It helps us survive and get by, and I will continue to do so, as should you. But this is clearly an issue the likes of which none of us are prepared for and have had to deal with before, and I do get the feeling it's about to get a lot worse. Laughing at the misfortune of Liverpool fans is expected, and I'm not here to criticise such actions. A lot of them have asked for it, to be honest. I'm tempted myself, but there really are bigger issues at play. Secondly, not all Liverpool fans, or any fan base, can be said to be represented by its Twitter devotees. As many a City fan pointed out the other week when a number of journalists piled in on online City fans within articles they wrote, you do not characterise a fan base by a minority on social media. Fact is, the vast majority of people do not go anywhere near Twitter. What's more, few of us act normal on there. When I speak to a Liverpool fan face-to-face, or a United fan for that matter, it is always, or most of the time, a reasoned, interesting debate and conversation. When I do on Twitter, it is rarely so. Twitter is rarely about reasoned debate anymore, after all. It is about tribalism, immaturity, pylons and bullying. Liverpool fans on there are still a special breed, but they're still not representative, and many on there, of all creeds and colours, are only after retweets and notoriety, rather than expressing an actual honest opinion. In a similar vein, the Aston Villa fanbase should not be categorised by the mostly young morons that embarrassed themselves around Wembley recently, 
though nevertheless I have the champagne on ice for the day they are relegated, because I am a football fan and thus hold a grudge. Apparently, and this may shock you, they once won the European Cup. Next you'll be telling me that Dave Wheeler once broke his leg in an FA Cup final. As for my other grudges, for the record I still hate Ipswich Town, Middlesbrough, United, Liverpool, Everton, Spurs, Arsenal, many more, and even hope Coventry City go bust, because they once ruined two accumulators in a single week. Now if you're the sort of Liverpool fan that thinks it all means more for you and your fellow supporters, who think your club is more special than all others, and that City are a fake plastic cheating club, who thinks club size is remotely relevant to anyone, then I hope the next couple of months are the most soul-sapping frustrating of your life. You deserve it, to be honest. But for the genuine fans, those who have waited so long to say their team is the best in the country and witness it all and drank it in like we did after so many relatively lean years, well, I cannot begrudge them the opportunity to get to celebrate such an achievement, whatever I may think of their football club and many of their fans. Having said that, after the hilariously classless manner in which the likes of Jurgen Klopp took defeat to Atletico Madrid and the inevitable death threats to Adrian, this is probably an argument I'll never win. What's more though, away from the banter, tribalism and outright prejudices we fans display, there has to be some element of fair play within it all, to make the successes worthwhile, to make the lows tolerable. And fair play dictates Liverpool should be this season's Premier League champions. Imagine if the Premier League decided a playoff between the top two instead and City won it. I seriously would not be able to celebrate such a victory, it would be too hollow by far. Still, if the Premier League rulebook states that a season must be completed for honours to be handed out, It would be rather interesting indeed to see if rival fans, especially Liverpool, still insist that rules are rules, as they seem to insist with financial fair play. Anyway, if you truly, truly think that the sporting calendar being abandoned in this country is somehow something to celebrate because it denies Liverpool their first Premier League title, and you truly believe that away from the online bants, then please take a deep breath and a step back. This is not something to celebrate in any shape or form. Personally, I don't want to see thousands die, don't want millions ruined financially if the country goes into lockdown, me included, or to have no football to watch all summer. I mean, what else am I going to do? Years that end in an odd number are rubbish, because that summer break really drags. We're not praying for dry weather for a camping trip or the odd foreign holiday. And holidays might be a no-go anyway. I might once have written that I would rather see City go bust than enjoy Liverpool win a week, but it was a tad tongue-in-cheek. But back to the present day. My hunch is that with Liverpool so close to securing the title anyway, games will continue to be played behind open and then closed doors until they do. Though this opinion might be out of date once the government meeting today is finished. The Premier League and FA will probably be hoping that they win the games they play, as a player getting the virus changes everything. Games should not really be played at all anyway in my opinion, but economics overrides public health and safety most of the time. After all, as I type these words, 250,000 people are grouped together at Cheltenham Racecourse. The league continuing until Liverpool cannot be caught only deals with one issue though. There are relegation places to be filled and the Champions League to qualify for. And we don't even know which positions will secure that. Will Cass develop a backlog as well as City? Those in the bottom three or just outside European places are not going to agree readily to the current table being the final one. Why would they? Meanwhile, the ripple effect will be in all directions, logistically and legally. And below the Premier League, Leeds and West Brom and others may be sweating heavily, not because they've caught the virus, but the possibility of being denied promotion. For Leeds supporters, after all this time trying to get back, it will be especially galling. These are unprecedented times. I do not know where we go from here, with the Premier League adamant that no other games are under threat after the cancellation of the City-Arsenal game. I expect this to change soon, though. 
I've no answers either. The Premier League teams will either get together in a room or over Skype if it's safer and thrash out an agreement, as long as Liverpool agree to 99 points, obviously. Financial compensation will be agreed for those that will lose out on the current table projections or everything is paused and one day we restart where we left off. We will see. Either way, as much as it stings to say it, there should be a chance for fans of a team to celebrate a league win like I have four times in the past decade and six times at Wembley too. It's what being a football fan is all about and to have it snatched away like this would be cruel. I'll have a little chuckle perhaps, but it is still cruel. So it might go against everything I stand for, but I hope that this season Liverpool are crowned league champions. Then we can move on and look forward to City coming back stronger in August. And let's hope I never have to type or speak those words ever again. Hi, this is Ian Bishop. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Howard Hawking there. Now it's time to finish with Ask the Panel, so send your questions in for next week's show at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter. You can email us through the website as well, bluemoonpodcast.com. First up is Jonathan on the emails. He asks, what's the difference between last season without Kevin De Bruyne and this season with him? Richard, have you have you got any ideas why City's best player suddenly comes into the squad and they can't really finish chances anymore? <laughs> um, well, the answer doesn't lie in Kevin De Bruyne being any part of the issue. Um, I don't think so. It's I don't think the, the question can necessarily be answered directly. Um, I think City's issues this season with chance creation and not necessarily finishing the chances very well I think a lot of it not all of it but I think a lot of it lies with teams having found a different way to defend against City we've seen a a lot less at least to my mind there might be stats that um, suggest my memory is wrong but to my mind we've seen a lot less of that type of goal where we get the ball to the byline cut it in and then have a tapping that's not been quite as regular Um, so I think the issues with with chance taking lies a lot in how teams are playing against us, and then what has probably become a bit of a confidence issue as the season's gone on. Like you think of you know Sterling missing in the derby, Silver the the um, I say the derby. I suppose you can choose any derby for that, but. Um, remember that one that he somehow put over despite being in a one-on-one with De Gea at the Etihad in the semi-final. In the same game, Silva somehow choosing to pass instead of shoot from a ridiculous angle. Um, None of that stuff lies in Kevin De Bruyne being in the team. Um, There's all sorts of issues with that. We are generally, I think, we are still a better team for having Kevin De Bruyne in it. You look at the performance at Madrid is probably the um, the best example of that because he was magnificent and the team is magnificent. He is one of the most tactically adept players that we that we can put on a pitch. He runs a game from midfield. He can get deep. He can attack. Um, you know, he, he can attack from deep or from high. He's, he's just magnificent. And so, it's a it's, I'm, I'm not sure this is quite the word I'm looking for, but it's almost like City's issues and Kevin De Bruyne. It, it, linking them two is a bit of a 
linking them together is a bit of a non sequitur for me. I'm not I'm not sure there's really much of a, a correlation. But if I've if I've misunderstood the spirit of the question, um, Jonathan, please forgive me. <laughs> I think last year we had Bernardo, who was unplayable, so we didn't miss him. I think it's as simple as that, really, isn't it? Um, have we really struggled to score that much this year? We're still the top top scorers in the league, aren't we? Yeah, that is true. I mean, I, I, it does feel like City are frustrated in front of goals this season, though. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, yeah, I guess the yeah the reason why we just didn't miss De Bruyne last year is just because you know other players were playing well enough, so we didn't have to, so we didn't miss him, particularly Bernardo, who's just been off the ball this year. And and we have other issues this year in midfield that have been caused by having to drop Fernandinho deeper back into defence. And obviously we have defensive issues, even with that, even forgetting that, um, that not the same protection in front of the defence because Fernandinho is in the defence rather than in front of it. There's other issues with the defence as well. So... I think City's issues this year lie more in more in that than anything that De Bruyne has a huge influence over. Right, well that's it for this week's episode of the Blue Moon Podcast. Special thanks to my two guests, Richard Burns. Thank you very much. And to Gaz. Cheers, thanks for having me. If you'd like a little bit more of the show, then we're taking a trip back to the noughties on this week's Patreon bonus show. That's available for $2 per month backers from patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts because it helps other City fans find us as well. We'll be back next week to look back on whatever happens over the next seven days. See you then. the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast